0: I'm sure all of us at one point or another have been preparing for some event or maybe preparing for a move or something along those lines, and everyone's going about their jobs, they're bustling about, and you're standing there twiddling your thumbs because you have no idea what needs to be done next, and you're just waiting for someone to point at that box and say, carry it upstairs. I'm sure all of us have had that moment, and you have that question going through your mind, what can I do? What do I need to do? There's so much going on. What do I need to do? I know there's things that need to be done, but what's my particular job? And in reality, that question is no different for a Christian. There's hundreds of jobs that need to be done for the church to grow, but what can I do? What's my job? Maybe I am one that thinks, okay, well, I can't, if I sing, it sounds like a billy goat got his tail stepped on, or if I try to Lead a prayer, I get confused when I'm up in the pulpit. It it scares me a little bit. Or preaching, I get tongue-tied. So what can I do? So this evening, I would like us to consider that idea and answer these questions of what can I do, but we're going to break it down into a few things, and this is by no stretch an exhaustive list, but these are things that every one of us can do. The first thing we can do is pray. Every Christian can pray. Oftentimes, we... I don't think we do it intentionally, but we may not quite think about how powerful prayer actually is. We tend to take it for granted, to say, okay, well, I said my prayer, but not really expect anything to happen. There's an old statement that was, it's been around for as long as I can remember, it said, if you pray for rain, bring an umbrella. Have confidence in what you're doing because you're addressing the Almighty God and you're asking Him for something. It's an encouraging thought. According to Pew Research, Roughly 68% of those professing to be Christians in the United States pray at least once a day. 68%, barely over half of those professing to be Christians pray once a day. It's really one of our most underutilized tools. We might say a prayer from the pulpit or say a prayer before we go to bed or bless the biscuits before we eat. But do we really understand the power of, of prayer and consider what it is that God has given us it's really one of our most powerful tools if you would please look at Ephesians chapter 6 That's Ephesians chapter 6 specifically we're going to be looking at verse 18 the context of this passage as we know is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and he's telling them to put on the whole armor of God he's telling them this is your equipment this is everything you need. Here's your defensive equipment. But then verse 18, notice what he says. Or let's start with verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now this verse here is where it transitions. Everything that he has told us up to this point are defensive weapons, shields, breastplates, helmets, things to protect you. <coughs> but verse 17 is where it switches to offense. A sword is an offensive weapon. Now, as we know what he says here, this is the Word of God, our sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is our most powerful tool. But he gives us something else. Verse 18 Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul understood what he was doing here. He understood that prayer is a powerful tool, that God has given us to deal with the things of this world. You think about all the different ways that prayer can be used. There's prayers for encouragement. Pray that we will continue on with what we're trying to do. There's prayers for healing. Prayer for those who are struggling with sickness. There's prayers that we will be able to get through difficult times. There's many different uses, and God has given us this as a direct line to communicate with Him. Think about that for a moment. We see in movies pretty frequently If we have a movie that's dealing with the president contacting another nation, he has that big red phone sitting on the table. That's his direct line to talk to whoever this is that he's dealing with. God gave us the big red phone. (laughs) He said, you have this where you can talk to me directly when you need me. And he has made mention of the fact he's going to listen. He's going to hear. The only time that a prayer will fall on God and its deaf, is when we're not one of his. And that's because that relationship has been severed. But as a Christian, as a follower of God, I have access to him. I can follow him. I can talk to him directly. Think about how an amazing tool that is. But many have this attitude of, I have to take care of this myself. I just have to do everything myself. Do we have responsibilities? Absolutely. There's things that we have to do. We, God is not going to magically come down and puppeteer us to follow after him but we don't have to deal with everything. There are some things we can turn over to God. The stresses, the fears, the anxieties, the difficulties of this world, we can turn over to God and say, hey, that's not for me to deal with. There was a friend of mine who is a licensed counselor, and he told me one of his best pieces of advice that he gives people when he's talking to them is he says, I want you to make two lists. In the first list, I want you to write down everything that you can do and everything that's bothering you. And in the other list, I want you to write down the things that are bothering you, but that you can't do anything about. They're not something you can physically reach out and take care of. He says, once they're done with that, I ask them to take that piece of paper of things you can't control, crumble it up, throw it away. And look at the actual list that matters. The things that we can take care of is what we're supposed to focus on. The things we can't control, that turns over to God. That's not for us to deal with. It's not for us to be concerned and to worry about, because that's not our job. How many of you think you have the ability to just snap your fingers and fix all the unrighteousness in the world? I know I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. God is the one who is the one that passes judgment. He's the one that deals with those problems that arise. It's not for us to take care of. But one of the, one, one of the statements that kind of is a little bit of a pet peeve, you know, every preacher has this little pet peeve of theirs that they hear. One of them is, the Lord helps those who help themselves. And people think that's a Bible verse. (laughs) That verse, I actually went and looked this up just to see where it came from. And this statement came from an article in 1698 that was written by really an unknown author. They don't even know exactly where it came from. But it was just a medieval pamphlet where someone wrote on there, the Lord helps those who help themselves. And for years, people have had that attitude. The Lord helps me only if I can take care of everything. Then why do you need God? If I can take care of everything myself, why on earth would I need him? The Lord helps those who humble themselves before him. That's who the Lord helps. The Lord helps those who are following after him and who are seeking after righteousness. Those are the ones the Lord helps not the ones who think they can handle everything on their own and never contact Him. Never bring it up. There are so many people who have been separated from God simply because they think they have to have everything perfect before they can come to Him. Forgetting the fact that God is the way that we can be faithful, the one that is there for us to help to cleanse us from those sins. So prayer is a very powerful tool, and Jesus even gave us an example to follow on this. Just take for a moment... And think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden, preparing for the most horrible moment of His physical life. And what does He spend it doing? Praying. Praying for the Lord to make this pass away if there's any other way. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. If Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah... The Son of God, God in flesh, finds it necessary to pray to God in difficult times. What makes you think you don't have to? What makes you think you're strong enough to take it on your own? He gave us that example to follow because He wants us to have that relationship with Him. Imagine for a moment that you're in a relationship with somebody or for those who are married, think about your spouse if every single detail had to be perfect before you put the ring on the finger? Every single detail. Nothing could be out of place. How many of you think you could raise your hand for that say that that's what happened? We can't. We're people. We make mistakes. We have difficult times that come up. We don't say exactly what we should say. We don't do exactly what we should do. The important thing in any relationship is the same important detail with God. Faithfulness commitment I'm not always going to do what's right in service of the Lord but I always come back when I'm wrong I always make things right because he's the one I'm following after it's not about what I can do I know I don't have the power to take away my own sin so I go to the one who actually has that power there are several examples we're going to go through and for time's sake we're not going to read every single passage but for those who are taking notes you can write these down when he was concerned for those that he cared about, he went to the Father. John chapter 17 verse 15 is a good reference of that. When he was in fear of what was coming next, he prayed to the Father, Matthew 26:39. When he felt sorrow and grief for the lost, he turned to God, Luke 23:34. He has different moments where he prayed to the Father on different situations. Different circumstances. It wasn't just because I'm about to face the cross, I need to talk to God. It was constantly throughout his ministry. If there was one thing that Jesus taught by how he lived more than anything else, it was to have a good prayer life. To have that communication with God. To understand he's the one that I turn these stresses over to. Have you thought for a moment that Jesus knew he couldn't save everybody he talked to? He knew that when he was going into this ministry, there were going to be people who ridiculed him, people who rejected him, people who hurt those he cared about. But he kept going. And he turned those things over to God, knowing it wasn't for him to deal with. He gave that example for us to follow. Jesus was the absolute standard of what a Christian should be. He lived every detail of his life and said, follow after this. So if we have any questions about how we're supposed to be living, we can look at how Christ lived, how he worked, how he acted, how he interacted with people. We follow after him as our example. And one detail that he showed immensely was prayer. So that's the first thing we can do. We can pray. Everyone has the ability to pray who is a member of the Lord's church. The second thing we can do is praise. Praise. We have so much to praise the Lord for. I just think about Psalm 100 and how David starts off, Make a joyful noise into the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God is, He who hath made us and not we ourselves. Showing the praise for the Almighty and who He is. And if there was someone who could praise God for who he was, it was David. You think about the life that he lived and all the difficult times he went through, but not only that, the things he brought on himself. And he reached out to the Father and the Father helped him through. He understood that, G- that God was willing to help him and therefore he was worthy of praise. But not only that, he was worthy of praise just because of who he was. The very character of God was something to be praised. The world in which we live is something we can actually praise God for. There's difficulties that we see, yes, absolutely. But think about the world itself. Brooke and I went out to Burgess Falls. I guess that was the first day we got here on Friday. And just went out there to look. And yes, while the falls were very brown, (laughs) because of all the rain, it was still an incredible place. The walls that were around that canyon (laughs) where the water has been flowing through. It's amazing to see. And when I look at that, I can say a couple different things. I can say, wow, that's an amazing waterfall. But as a Christian, I can say, wow, what a powerful God that we have that can make something like that. That made a world where that was possible. I'm sure many of you have gone through just scrolling through social media or something, and a video popped up that says, top 10 places that don't even look like they're on earth. And it's just amazing to see all the detail, all of the scenery that we have here on this earth, and to think about the power that our God had to make it. It screams out for a creator, showing who he is. We can praise God for the people that we love, the church that we're a part of, our families. God made each of us, and he made us for the benefit of the other. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And what did he do? He made him a help me. He knew it wasn't enough for man to have his animal. He knew it was a necessary thing for us to be together. There were scientific studies done during COVID that showing the interactions between people and showing the effects, the psychological effects of being in quarantine and being separated from each other for a long period of time. And you know what they found? Depression rates went through the roof. Suicides went through the roof. All these difficult situations showed up. Why? Simply because they didn't have another human face. Another person to talk to. Another person that you could confide in. They were separated from all of those things that are necessary for us to grow. There are stories that are told of people who are lost at sea or separated from vast numbers of people. And it they just slowly degrade mentally over time. Because... We need each other. Humanity is a very social creature. We need one another to grow, and God understood that too. And even think about the wisdom that God had in making the church. Imagine if he told each of us individually, you have to be a Christian, but you have to do it by yourself. Think about how difficult that would be. I have to live faithfully at all times, but I'm not around anyone who's trying to do the same thing. I don't have that support group to get through it. I don't have those people who are striving together, working together, growing together. For perspective's sake, take this for a minute. You individually, right now, just forget everyone else is in the room. You individually are responsible to convert the entire city of Cookville, Tennessee. Good luck. By yourself, no support. No one to encourage you through it. You alone. Now think about how much less daunting that task sounds with the number of people that are in this room. Knowing you're not alone to do it. That we all have the same goal. We may come from different backgrounds, may be from different walks of life, but we all have the same goal. He had wisdom in what he was doing. That's something that's worthy of praising God for. But of course, the one that comes to mind the most is we can thank God for the salvation that he offers. In the Garden of Eden, man was at his most hopeless state. He was lost without a Savior, without a way of escape from that sin. And God made a promise that the sacrifice was coming. The sacrifice for your sin is coming. You think about what God could have done We've seen the power of God. We've seen that He could have just wiped out all of mankind right there, started over. It would have been a whole lot easier back then. Two people wiped out, start over again. We're going to keep going until we get it right. That was the penalty for sin. God would have been well within His rights to do that. So why did He not? Why did He withhold that hand of judgment knowing that that was what should be done? Love. Love for us. Mercy. He saw us as the first fruits of his creatures. The group of people that he had made and fashioned and said they were very good. He said, I want to give them a chance. I want to give them an opportunity to avoid this fate. To be separated from what could happen. That's something we can praise God for being thankful for all that he has done. I think about how Paul interacted about this very thing. He said, It is by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul knew it wasn't just because of how good he was that he was able to accomplish all that he did. He knew that that came from the grace of God and the mercy of God. Some say that because there's so much evil and so so many problems and so much death in the world that God's not worthy of praise. But who's responsible for all of that? Did God make this world and say, I want there to be all these things? Did God make the Garden of Eden with all the death, all the murder, all the difficulties, all the hatred that we see in the world? No. When He made the Garden of Eden, it was a paradise. A place for man to live on a world that was made specifically for him, for all of his needs. But because of man's sin... That was destroyed. That was ruined. And now man has to deal with the consequences of his actions. Some might say, well, why do I have to suffer the consequences of someone thousands and thousands of years ago? Why do I have to deal with that? As we know, consequences don't always affect the guilty party immediately. Sometimes consequences affect the innocent. Those who were just bystanders. And it's a horrible thing that happens, but that's why God gave us a way out. That's why God said, this world that you live in is not the end. So when we look around and see all those troubles, all those trials, all those difficulties, all this hatred in the world, we can know this is not the end result. We have something better. Something greater than what we see right now. Which brings us to our next point, and our final point. Every one of us can pray. Every one of us can praise God for all that He's done. And every one of us can persevere. Every one of us can push through. The world, it wants to destroy what we're doing. It wants to stop us from bringing this good to the world. But we can push on. We can keep going. I'm reminded of the book of 2 Corinthians where Paul is listing all the things he had been through in his time as a preacher, talking to the church in Corinth, telling them, listen, I've been through it. I've seen it. And here's how you can. Just take some time one day and just go through the book of 2 Corinthians and read all the things Paul went through and then go read the account where it happened. And just see all that he dealt with. The man who was chief Pharisee of Pharisees, a very prominent position, a very comfortable position, that he gave up and now had to deal with people hating him. People who he probably would have considered to be wise men, people who he probably would have considered to be friends, now turning on him and hating everything he stands for. Paul, the man who goes into a city, is thrown out, stoned, left for dead. When he finally is strong enough, he goes back into the city and preaches again. I'm sure for the Jews that were there, that would have been the most annoying thing. We just took this guy out and executed him, and he's still preaching. This man is like a bad cockroach. I can't get rid of him. But that's how Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be a people who you can't keep down. Why? Because the more you fight us, the more we grow. The more you stand against us, the stronger we get. Because as James chapter 1 discussed, trials bring about patience. The things that we deal with, the things we struggle with, they make us stronger for the next time. Why? Because now I can see it coming from a mile away. I can see what's coming. I know how to deal with those things. It's not my first rodeo. It kind of is interesting to see sometimes when maybe you're around little children or you see babies that are growing up and they do something that's a little bit dumb. They face the consequences. Maybe they put their hand on a stove. Maybe they stick something in an electrical socket. And you look at that and you say, how could they do that? Why? But at one point that was you. At one point, you didn't know better. But you see the end result now. You know why you shouldn't do that. You understand all the facets around that. So that now when someone else is dealing with a similar situation to what you went through, you can say, hey, I get it. I know what that's like. God made the church because every one of us have different perspectives. Every one of us has something that stands out to us that doesn't stand out to you. I'm a big history buff. So when I read the Bible, I see all the puzzle pieces connecting. I see all the history that was taking place, and I say, okay, that makes sense. Others, it might be some other detail. Maybe they understand having to stand for their faith, and so those passages just pop out at them. Maybe others understand the necessity of helping those who are struggling and knowing what a hand on the shoulder means. We can persevere because we have one another. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to continue forward. It's not about what I want. It's not about the things that are comfortable for me. It's because of what He has done. It's because of the people who are standing next to me. There was a comment that was made in the First World War. Men are standing in trenches. They're having to deal with this gunfire and these artillery shells that are falling upon them. And as they're about to go over the top, they're about to charge this enemy trench. One of the commanders looks at the group and says, don't fight for yourself. Don't fight for yourself. Make sure the guy next to you gets home. Because if every one of us are focused on the next guy getting home, then that's a group that functions as a unit. That's a group that's committed to each other because whenever it starts to affect me, I'm like, okay, I can help this guy. I'm sure many of you have experienced a situation where helping someone else helped you with something. One thing that I can think of in particular, this is more of a funny example, I had no idea how to roller skate for the longest time. No idea. Went with a group of friends to a skating rink and for some reason... One of my friends there thought I could roller skate. And he said, hey, can you teach my friend how to roller skate? So now I have to figure out how to roller skate because at, the two, at that time I was too proud to admit I didn't know how to roller skate. <laughs> I have to teach this person how to roller skate. And you know what? I figured it out. While I was with that person, while I was helping them, I figured it out. That's the same situation with the Bible. If I'm trying to help someone else understand it better, there's things that pop out at you. Things I didn't get before. We strengthen one another. We persevere together. God has given us a message that's that's hopeful. He doesn't give us a false sense of hope that everything's going to be comfortable here. He says up front, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Think about what Jesus told his disciples. Birds there have nests, foxes have holes, the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He was up front. But he said, the rewards are better than you can imagine. You think about John when he was writing in the book of Revelation about the holy city, about heaven, about what we are going to experience. Do you realize that every detail he describes, he had to use an earthly term for that? he could not really actually describe what it was because it's something we can't comprehend. It's not an earthly city. It's not made of the things we can dig out of the earth. It's made of a spiritual substance. It's an encouraging thing. Perseverance is rewarded. We receive that home in heaven. Jesus talking to disciples tells them if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. He makes a promise. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 he says be thou faithful until death and I will give you a crown of life. The reward, the promise is there. What will we do with it? We're getting started with a new venture a good group of people trying to accomplish something together. There's jobs that need to be done. There's roles that are going to need to be filled. What can you do? What can we all do? These are four things we can all start with. We can all pray. We can all praise. And we can all persevere. Maybe this evening, though, You've never named the name of Christ. You can't do these things because you've never started the process. You've never become one of His people. Just like He's given us all these things to do, He's given us a way to follow after Him. must hear the word, Romans 10, 17, believing it to be true, John 8, 24. If I'm believing that to be true, understanding what we've been told, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. And based upon that repentance, that's changed mind, which brings a changed life, we're willing to confess that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Romans 10.10. That He is exactly who He said He was, and I'm going to follow after Him. And based upon that confession, we can baptize you into Christ this very evening. According to 1 Peter 3.21, we're burying that old man of sin, we're raising him to walk in newness of life, so that you can truly be able to do all the things we've talked about tonight. So that when the world bucks, you say, okay, Bring it. Bring it on. Because my God is greater than this. But maybe you already did those things. But maybe for too long you've been sitting around saying, what can I do, and not done. God wants to make that right. He wants to mend that relationship with you. All it takes is for you to make that decision. All it takes is for you to say, okay, I'm here Send me. I was very thankful for that scripture reading tonight because that's the entire point of what we're talking about. Those are all things we can do, but we've got to have a willing heart to do it. We've got to say, I know this needs to be done, so what can I do? This evening, if you have any need, anything that is holding you back tonight, make it right. Make it right so we can all one day say that we are followers of God, and we get to go together. If you have any need, please come as together we stand as we sing.